Welcome back to the Russell Street Replay, a Baltimore Ravens recap podcast. This week, we'll be going over the Ravens' Thursday night massacre against the Miami Dolphins. It was a brutal game, but luckily, I have the legend himself, TL, Tony Lombardi, here to help me recap. Tony, thanks for joining us. Hey, my pleasure. (laughs) You use the term legend loosely. (laughs) (laughs) One of the reasons why I use that as an intro is because you've watched a lot of Ravens games. You've watched more Ravens games, certainly, than I ever have. And Thursday night was one of the most frustrating games I've ever watched this team play. Was Thursday night up there for you in terms of most frustrating games in in team history? I think any time you get into a situation where you are expecting to coast. You're expecting the Ravens to coast through the game. They're just vastly superior talent-wise, and they lay an egg like that on the road in front of you know a national audience. The kid, what it reminded me of, I don't, I'm not sure what year it was, but I believe it was a playoff year for the Ravens, and and they traveled down to Jacksonville and looked just like they did Thursday night, just with Joe Flacco, just was, it was so incredibly frustrating to an inferior Jaguars team and lost. And I'm pretty sure they went on to the playoffs anyway. It's just, it seems like, and John Harbaugh has said it already. He said, it's never pretty, it's never easy, but it's us. And, and that's just seems to be the Ravens way. They, they never make it easy on themselves. And, and when they do, like they did in 2019, going 14 and two and having the home field advantage throughout the playoffs. If they wanted it, they lay an egg against who was it? The, the Titans and got destroyed by them at home. So uh, that one was probably more frustrating to me than, than the one uh, on Thursday night because the stakes were higher, but wow, it, it, there's a lot to fix on, with the Ravens offense for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I think that Jaguars game, I believe it was back in 2011, and they went they they went on to finish the season at 12 and four and go to the AFC Championship game. Of course, that was the Lee Evans drop and Cundiff miss here that brutalized me as a as a as a 10 11 year old. I was I was probably the most upset I'd ever had been about a Ravens game that year. Uh, but I, you know, even even the Bengals game was frustrating. But part of it was maybe maybe because it was a home game, maybe just because. Yeah, the Bengals are actually a pretty good football team, we realized. Coming out of this game, I don't think the Dolphins are actually that good of a football team. I just think the Ravens played probably, not probably, easily their worst game of the season. Yeah, and, and it comes at a time when they had an opportunity to, to get control of maybe even the conference if the Titans were to lose to the Saints on Sunday. Uh, they would have been 7-2, and two, certainly in control of the AFC North. Now all it takes is a Steelers win over the Detroit Lions and they share the lead in the AFC North and just make it a little bit more challenging for themselves for the rest of the year. Yeah, especially I know something a lot of us has talked about this slate of games, the Vikings, the Dolphins and the Bears were just three games that we wanted to win with a really tough slate ending the season. And even against the Vikings, we really struggled, right? That game obviously went into overtime and we had we had to win that game in overtime. That's that's not great to see, especially for a team coming out of the bye that we were hoping would look better. And that kind of brings me to my next question, which is we've, we've seen the first half of the season. We saw them go into the bye, struggling against the Bengals. We saw them come out and barely beat the Vikings. What do you think is the overall ceiling for this team? I think the ceiling would be the AFC championship game. The, the floor is to not make the playoffs and just completely unravel. I, I think that 
they just have a, a gifted quarterback who has an insatiable thirst to win and compete and put in the work to get better. So I think that he'll propel them into the playoffs. He'll, he'll, he'll figure out a way. But I, I think that when you look at what they do defensively, they just continue to give up big plays. They continue to tackle poorly. And, you know, we've had a big enough body of work so far, you know, nine games that I think that that's indicative of who they are. I don't think that – I think the sample size is big enough to kind of project. I don't know that those issues get corrected for the balance of the season. I hope that they do, but I'm not convinced that they will be. And then offensively, the biggest problem – has been from day one of training camp and remains the biggest problem is that offensive line. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure how you fix that either. I know that Ben Cleveland's going to be coming back. Cedric Obwehi is a guy that I thought might get some playing time against the Dolphins. They decided not to go with him. Nick Boyle will come back for the Bears game. I think he brings added, you know, success uh, levels to the, to the running game. And, you know, he's obviously a, a pretty reliable pass catcher as well. So I think they'll get some guys back, but that offensive line continues just to be a problem. And Lamar Jackson just had absolutely zero time to set and throw against the, the, the Dolphins on Thursday night. Mm -hmm. Did you ever think we'd be begging for Patrick McCarty to be healthy? Right. You know, looking back on training camp, when we're trying to project who that 53-man roster is going to be, I wasn't sure that he'd even make the team. And I thought back then, I said, if he makes the team, it's his versatility that will earn him that job or keep his job. And I never expected the quality of play from him at right tackle that he's been delivering when he's healthy. It's just that, you know, I know that going back to his days in college that he was – a right tackle. And that's what he's been doing as a pro is different than what he did in college. And he's comfortable at right tackle, but just the way he engages, the way he gets his body in the way. And once he latches on, he seems to do a really good job. He, he's, he lacks athleticism, but I'll tell you what, I, I've had this conversation too, that if Ronnie Stanley was to come back and this is before they put him on IR for the season, if he was to come back and play left tackle, would you rather have Villanueva or Macari at right tackle. And I, I kept saying, I think Macari's a better right tackle than Villanueva. I agree. I think, you know, Villanueva's week one struggles, it just showed that he, he, he needs more time to get used to right tackle. And part of it is the Ravens had him working left and right tackle um, throughout the preseason, and he didn't really get to dedicate that much time to right tackle. But midseason, definitely wouldn't want to put him back there. Obviously, hopefully he is the starting – Villanueva's the starting left tackle for the rest of the season, and we get Makari back. Yeah, Makari's been brilliant. I mean, he looks like the smartest player. It's funny, he kind of reminds me of Cal Ripken. Cal Ripken was not the most athletic baseball player, but he was a really good defensive shortstop because he knew where to be. He knew what the tendencies of opposing hitters were and what his pitcher was what his pitcher was going to try and do. And Makari has both of that. He knows how opposing pass rushers are going to try and beat him. And so he knows how to beat them to their spot and engage them before they can use their moves on him. But, but he also just has a really good chemistry with Jackson. Jackson has done some of his best work this season when stepping up and sliding right. And part of that is just because it seems like his chemistry with Makari is really solid. Makari, kind of, Makari, Makari seems to know where Jackson wants to go with the ball. 
And Phillips definitely doesn't have that. And that, that has been a problem as well. Yeah, he's a smart technician. And I think, as you point out, the, the combination of that allows him to overcome maybe some shortcomings in his athleticism. Yeah, I mean, he's, he, he, he held up against Joey Bosa and Von Miller this year. And that's not something I really ever thought I'd be saying about Patrick McCarry at right tackle. So hats off to him, man. I, I miss him. I miss him at right tackle. Yeah, I hear you. And, and Tyree Phillips make you, makes you miss him even more. <laughs> Moving on to our, our weekly categories. First up, I have Raven of the game. I'll give you my nominees. Rashad Bateman, six for 80, solid game from him. Mark Andrews, who I felt like did a lot of things to help our offense get set during the game. Uh, he seemed to constantly be helping Lamar call out audibles and get people set at the line. And we didn't have as many or any procedural penalties offensively for like illegal formation, illegal shift that we've struggled with in the past, especially when trying to change plays the line. Justin Houston and Calais Campbell were phenomenal getting after the quarterback. Josh Vines and Patrick Queen, again, the inside linebacker duo that this team has needed. And Tavon Young, before he got injured, I thought was just awesome in coverage on Mike Gisecki. So was Marlon Humphrey. Um, but Tavon Young, as, as an undersized slot corner, taking on a tight end was pretty impressive yesterday as well. Or, sorry, on Thursday night as well. Who did you have as your Raven of the game, Tony? Well, I hadn't really thought of Tavon, but you bring up some good points. And he's, he's just a solid defender, and I hope he's okay because – they really could use him against the Bears, but or, or going forward for that matter, just any game, he's just a, a solid player to have back there in your slot corner. But you mentioned Patrick Queen. I thought that he had his best game. He was explosive. I thought, thought he made impactful plays and tackles. He almost had the trifecta with the strip sack and the fumble recovery, but got a little too greedy and wanted to run it into the end zone before he recovered it. But I, I thought that you know, you look at you look back to when Josh Bynes was in started in the starting lineup. I think that since that period, Queens played tremendously better. It's like he hasn't had to slow his game down to think and process the way he seemed to be doing before. He's now allowing that athleticism to take over and he's making impactful plays. So I, if I had to give Raven the game, I'd have to go with the defense because the way the offense just played collectively so poorly for most of that game. I go defense, and I I probably split it between Patrick Queen and Justin Houston. Yeah, I have to agree with that. What, what you're saying about Bynes coming in and really just steadying the interior of that defense, I don't know. Obviously, we don't know exactly what the Ravens have said to Queen and Bynes and how they've changed assignments, but it's clear that Bynes is emerging as more of the vocal middle linebacker, and Queen is just able to focus more on his responsibilities on any given play, and he's showing that when he can do that, he is a – top tier middle linebacker and hopefully he's taking notes I'm sure he is from Bynes on how to command this defense because I think Queen can put it together I just think that and this is something that both Rob Ryan and Wake Martindale have talked about all season it's really it's a tough position especially in this defense it is tough to run the middle of the defense uh, and I, I think Queen looks really good and I'm just hoping he can just improve that that leadership and that communication side as for Houston, it was great to finally see him get his 100th sack. He seemed to get so close for so many games ever since he got to 99 and a half. And he, he was just in Tua and Brissett's face all night. And that's the kind of thing that I've been wanting to see from him is one of those games where he just takes over. And it kind of felt like that on Thursday night, even though we didn't get the result we wanted. Moving on to unit of the game, 
I only listed defensive units for this one. No unit on the offense did well enough collectively to earn a nomination. I have the interior of the defensive line, a weak point that has turned into a strength I felt like in the last two games, the inside linebackers who we just mentioned. And I felt like the outside linebackers did really well, particularly Tyus Bowser. Bowser's been doing a lot on this defense lately. He's been dropping the coverage a lot more than he was early in the season. And he's been doing really well matched up against tight ends and running backs. Yeah. He's a, a really good athlete, Tyus Bowser. And, and I think he's sort of like that jack of all trades. He, he can cover, he can support the edge, and he can get after the quarterback when assigned to do so. So yeah, I like him as one of those, uh, you know, Swiss Army knife kind of guys that that Whit Martindale has at his disposal. So yeah, I'd say that those guys all played well. And, and I think the coverage on Gasecki was, you know, if if you wanted to assign that to a combination of the linebackers and Tavon Young, as you mentioned before. The fact that Gasicki, who is a really accomplished tight end and probably their biggest threat, was shut out, I think that that's an accomplishment. And probably I'd, I'd sign if that if that is a unit that took care of that, I'd give that uh, unit of the game to those guys. I think that's great, and I gotta agree with you because tight ends has been a huge issue. Covering tight ends has been an issue for the Ravens this season, and it felt like they came into this game with a really clear plan. They mixed up coverages on Gasicki. He, he faced – I know he faced Young. I saw him face Marlon Humphrey on a couple plays, and Humphrey played really well. I actually – and I love that decision because it lets Humphrey use his physicality uh, more than when he does – when he's lined up against speedier wide receivers. And when Bowser, Queen, dropped back into coverage on him as well, Chris Board, they all they all held up. And it's a really impressive defensive effort to address a weakness. And, and I'll have to agree the the unit covering uh, Mike Giusecki is definitely our unit of the game. Moving on to play of the game. This one was tough because not only, you know, did the offense struggle, but the defense played well, but they didn't have that many highlight plays. I had Justin Houston's 100th sack as one of the plays of the game, probably because it was one of the few positive takeaways. The Andrews touchdown was a nice grab, but nothing crazy special. So I only had one other nominee, which was Bateman's catch down the sideline in the fourth quarter. I think it was a 30 yard catch and did a great job getting his feet, getting his feet in and landing, getting his feet in to make the catch, but also landing out of bounds to stop the clock. Although they kept the clock running for some reason, it really looked like he got out of bounds. Uh, Tony, what did you have as your play of the game? If I was going to go with the play of the game for the Ravens, I would probably give it to Queen strip sack and near fumble recovery came in an important time of the game, and had he finished the play the way he was capable of doing, it could have changed the outcome of the game. But So it's really tough to find a play of the game for the Ravens in that debacle, but I'd probably give it to that. But the overall play of the game for me, because, Nikhil, I thought that the game was completely unentertaining, particularly from a perspective of a Ravens fan. It was just a, such a boring game. Was it 6-3 to three into the fourth quarter or something mm-hmm. like that? It was just completely a boring game, just sloppiness abounded. But the play of the game that provided the most entertainment for me is when Robert Hunt caught the screen pass intended to, for the running back. <laughs> and How could I forget that? For a touchdown, I thought that that was the play of the game. I mean, even as grouchy as I was because the way the game was unfolding, that one made me laugh. Yeah, you know the other thing I know, I know Hunt got – all of the uh, hunt got all of the you know credit for that, and it was a really athletic play. It was fun to watch. The funniest thing about that game to me was Tua's post game interview 
Tua Tagovailoa's, Tagovailoa's post-game interview. The reporter asked him about that play, and he kind of chuckled, and he was like, yeah, but he said it was illegal. He, he didn't seem excited about it at all. All he said was, he should, basically, he shouldn't have caught that ball. And he was right. I honestly have no idea what Hunt was doing catching that ball. It was cool, and he's trying to make a play, but talk about a low IQ play. <laughs> I, like it's it's illegal to Tua looked into the camera and said yeah he tried to make a play but it's illegal and no smile straight face did not see the humor or excitement in it at all and I, at that point the Ravens had already lost I was already preparing for you know a, a rough week of of internet takes and I was just laughing I have to admit I really wasn't familiar with the player until that play and I, I thought, oh, wow, what a, what a great call. It was a tackle-eligible screenplay, but I didn't know he was a guard. So, <laughs> and and I, I did get a kick out of Troy Aikman cracking up at that, too. Yeah. Who was it that he posted? I forgot who posted on Twitter, but he said that – and I'm not sure what, which running back was intended for that pass, but he said that that running back got mossed by Hunt. I thought that was <laughs> Well, and the, I think the other thing we missed, the other thing people missed on that play was Chris Westry, who like saw this massive offensive lineman barreling at him and was like, okay, it's time to tackle. Like, that's pretty impressive, too. Almost, I mean, yeah, Hunt got in the end zone, but Westry gave everything he had to stop him. It was a, it was a good tackle. And thankfully, he's not injured for a play that wasn't even supposed to, it was a, a flag play. You know, that, uh, that, that would have been that would have been just right for the Ravens injury luck this season. Right. Uh, moving on to the back to practice award for a position group that needs to step it up in a specific area. We're going to forget the position group because I literally have two notes and one is for the offense and one is for the defense. The entire offense. This is and this is to Lamar, the O-line, Greg Roman, everyone just figure out how to how to handle these blitzes, how to handle these looks at the line. And yes, there were times where the Dolphins had these cover zero looks at the line and then drop back into coverage, but you can be prepared for that too. There are plenty of schemes. And when I'm watching a game and I feel like I could draw a better play call than Greg Roman, I think Greg Roman's a great offensive coordinator, but when I feel like I could draw a better play call on Madden, something's wrong. And, and anytime I think that in an NF, when I'm watching an NFL game, I'm like, okay, something's very wrong. And this is one of the cases where it was a blitz them until they can stop it, and the Ravens couldn't stop it. On the defensive side, the poor tackling is just kind of the nature of the beast. That's going to happen. It comes and goes. They've had some good tackling games this season and a lot of bad tackling ones. The biggest thing for me is the miscommunications and misassignments. It's the second week in a row where there's been some kind of mishap that has led to a massive play. Uh, you know, the Vikings, it was early in the game, but this, this time it was late in the game. I mean, I honestly thought we were in that game until that deep that deep pass to I believe it was Jalen Waddle in the fourth quarter uh, there was I was I was confident that we could still maybe take that game to overtime until we let them get back into scoring position because had we gotten that turnover I think we would have been down five points with the ball if we had gotten that stop on that possession and at that point the Ravens offense was still sputtering but it's still the Ravens offense it's still Lamar Jackson they're still capable of pulling it off but that was a dagger, and those big plays have got to stop. Yeah, when you look at that game, I, I think that the Dolphins in their first nine games did not produce a single play of 50-plus yards. And then against the Ravens, they produced two in, in one game. So that, that's kind of telling. These mental lapses, I agree with you, they're just – they've got to stop. And the guy who's, who's made 
them in consecutive games, and, and they've both uh, triggered uh, big plays by the other team, is Chuck Clark. And Chuck is a guy who is a well-studied athlete. He prepares like nobody's business. He's a smart guy, and and he's been baited and suckered in on two consecutive games, and that's produced big plays for the other team. So that's a back-to-practice thing for me, and they got, they've got they got to fix that because you can play – it's almost like a, a pitcher, Nikhil, if, if he throws six innings of – you know, a three hit ball, but the two of those hits were three run home runs. <laughs> you got to remember those three run home runs. It's kind of like the Ravens defense. They can look really good, but they give up those big plays and it makes the rest of the stuff. It negates the accomplishments of, of every other play. So yeah, they, they got to clean that up. But to me, the, the back to the practice award has to go to Greg Roman and his offense. They just, they look ridiculously bad against that cover zero. The best quarterbacks in the world, if they continue to get those looks, will destroy that defense, but the Ravens couldn't do it. They had no answer. And you could see Lamar's frustration on the sidelines. I've never seen him as frustrated as he was during that game. And, and, and another thing kind of to add to the Greg Roman back to practice, I have never seen a team that cannot execute a simple screen pass the way the Ravens continually fail to do that. It's a needed play in your playbook. The only thing they do is that horizontal little bubble screen, and I think teams are starting to figure that out, as, as the Dolphins did. But they just don't run a basic screen to their running backs, and, and I just don't understand why. I don't, all you got to do is look at Andy Reid's playbook, look at how those guys organize a screen because he's been, he's been doing it for 20 years, and the Ravens can't do it. I, I don't know the last time they ran a good screen pass to a running back. I, I can't even remember one. Yeah, I mean, that was the play J.K. Dobbins was injured on in the preseason, and – Right. You, know, you don't want that to scare off the offense from calling that play again. You know, yes, a really bad injury occurred on it, but that doesn't mean a really bad injury is going to occur on future screens. And I think Bell and Freeman are backs that could do well with some screens, if it, but we have to run them properly. And it's, it's been an issue for the Ravens historically. But, you know, that, that is something that, 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 punish, that can punish blitzes. That they're, and there are a couple things that can punish blitzes, and I'm sure we'll talk about it when we're talking about what we're looking forward to next week. But it just felt like the Ravens couldn't figure out the, those play calls until really late in the game. I mean, they put together that 99-yard drive in the fourth quarter, aided by some penalties, of course, but still put together a pretty good drive and, and showed an ability to beat the blitz, but it just took them way too long to get around to it. So, yeah, I absolutely agree. That's, that's the biggest thing they have to practice, and I know they will be. I, I've, I've no doubt that they're going to spend – most of their time on offense figuring out these blitzes because they know now that other defenses have seen this, they said, oh, we figured out Lamar Jackson now. We can just blitz him, and the Ravens are going to have to be ready for that. Yeah, the screen pass, having an effective one in your arsenal plays, it makes the defensive front of the opponent think a little bit more. And if you think a little bit more, just that you have to make sure that they're not running a screen it slows you down and slowing you down could be the difference between getting a pass off or being sacked. And I think having that in, in your bag of tricks is a necessity and the Ravens just don't have it. And the other teams know it. So they don't even worry about, you know, staying true to being aware of a screen pass. It's just, they need to figure that out. And, and until they do, they're going to see more of these kinds of blitzes. Mm -hmm. Moving on to newcomer of the week. I had Justin Houston, Rashad Bateman, and Chris Westry. Houston, we talked about. Bateman, as well, was the most reliable receiver yesterday, continuing to look like everything we drafted him to be. Just 
all hands team every play. And Chris Westry, it was, I was kind of surprised that he was back. I wasn't expecting him to be back for yesterday's game. I thought he was going to be back against the bears, but he played well, especially after he had to play a little bit more after Tavon Young got hurt. So I'm excited for what he brings to this defense the rest of the season, just as a different type of matchup we can throw at opposing receivers, a guy who is just big and fast and maybe is not the most technically refined guy, but has the athleticism to stick with almost any receiver in this league. Who's your newcomer of the week, Johnny? Yeah, I, I think, you know, Dev Panchois did a nice piece on Russell Street Report about the three newcomers to the team, three rookies, being Bateman, O.A., and Brandon Stevens having good games. So I, I kind of collectively give the tip of the hat to those guys. I thought Bateman – Bateman just looks like a polished player, looks like a guy who belies his, his time in the league. So I, I really like what the ceiling for him is tremendous. He just – I hate putting this – these tags on players that are that young, but he really reminds me a, a lot of uh, the guy from the Chargers. What's his name? The God, name the guy that they uh, drafted a few years ago that I really like. Um, not Williams. Uh, it'll come to me, but, but it also reminds me a little bit of Reggie Wayne, the way he plays. So you got to like Bateman. Oway, I thought, played really well. He had, I think, maybe four pressures and a sack and, and had two tackles for losses. So I liked the way he played. And Brandon Stevens, other than I think it was his blown assignment that triggered that that late pass down the left sideline that Tua hit the, uh, what was it, Ellis maybe, um, mm-hmm. uh, for that long gainer. I think that that was his blown assignment. Other than that, I think he was instrumental in keeping Gesicki shut out. So. Uh, so I, I, th- I think all three of those newcomers have played well, and they've been really good draft picks. Yeah, yeah, Stevens especially. Third rounder, people weren't expecting him to go that early, especially his story. You know, high school running back, college cornerback, and now starting at safety for the Ravens, the team that has historically put put out some really top-tier safety play. It's impressive that he's able to step up under under a lot of pressure in, in that game. But he, he played well. And, yeah, Owe continues to just produce. Owe was – uh, I think a really good draft pick. I, I just, I just love that pick for the Ravens. I love how they really trusted their evaluation of him because the zero sacks was a big warning sign that scared off a lot of teams. But I think the Ravens had Oe pegged as potentially a top 20 player and just knew he would be there at 31 because teams got scared off by that zero sack number. And he's, I think he's going to have a great career at Baltimore. He, he, yeah, he is a great, he's a great. And he has the benefit of learning from Justin Houston, which he's talked about. He calls Justin Houston Yoda. You know, I think that's another thing that's been huge in his development is he comes into the league with one of its like best technicians as a pass rusher and, and to learn from. And I, I'm excited to see what he does next season when we feature him in probably a more featured role as a pass rusher than we have this season where, he, where he's been doing a lot against the run and dropping into coverage. Yeah, he's just a very talented guy. And when you get a player with that size, that athleticism and speed, you can do a lot of wicked things. And I'm sure that the there's a big ceiling for him. And that you're right, in his sophomore season, I think he'll even be more productive. The guy I was trying to think of comparing Bateman to was Keenan Allen. Mm, that's good. It's a good comp. I, I like that. I like that. Crisper outrunning, sure hands, and a guy that you can count on for – Hey, six catches and 80 yards is not super flashy, 
But I think we can count. I think like throughout his career, Bateman's the kind of guy we can count on for that almost as a floor pretty much every game. And that's what the Ravens have been begging for for years. Hollywood is Hollywood's great. And he and Hollywood has been that reliable this season. Uh, but coming into this season, Hollywood was was a little bit more of a big play threat than a consistent receiver. It's crazy now to see the Ravens have two really consistent receivers. And hopefully Watkins will be fully healed the next time he comes to play because he did not look 100 percent on Thursday night. He didn't look 100 percent. I don't know about physically, but mentally, he just didn't seem to be in the game. And that that opening drive where he was open in the end zone. It, I just thought that effort on that play was really poor. It looked like he was, he lost the ball in the lights or I don't know, just, just a bad effort. And then the fumble was obviously costly because, you know, Howard scooped it up for a 49 yard fumble return for a score, first touchdown of the game. It's crazy that we were, we were, we were in that game. We should, we had no business being in that game, but yeah, the defense kept us in that game and, and it sucked to have, those plays. And that actually brings me to the mile high miracle, ridiculous Ravens moment of the week, because I included both of those Sammy Watkins plays as my nominees. The fumble return touchdown was such a dagger because it was on a quick slant. And those quick slants is what we'd been waiting for the Ravens to call, or at least I had been waiting for the Ravens to call against the blitz because it at least forces the defense, the defensive backs to stop playing off coverage. If you run enough quick slants, they'll have to start coming up to the line and then you can try and beat them vertically. But that fumble came on a quick slant and it, it hurt to see the right play call get busted. And then the Watkins missing the ball. I also thought was a crazy moment because he's done well tracking deep balls this season and in his career in general. And so it, he must've lost it and, and, and that happens, but it sucks when the ball lands right in front of him. I mean, that was brutal to watch. It, it was brutal to watch. And, and I just, and Troy Eggman kept beating this drum and I, I kept thinking, why don't the Ravens know this? And, and that is that the middle of the field on crossers against that cover zero were wide open. And, and that, I mean, if if someone like me in Sandlot flag football can have a hand signal to a receiver if you see something pre-snap and your receiver's on the same page as you, why can't these guys that have been together for, since, since July every day do something like that? I, I just don't get it. So that's... Yeah, there wasn't a good mile-high moment in that game for sure. Yeah, and I think I think that's part of the reason why Harbaugh, Harbaugh really beat himself up after the game. I mean, I've never seen a press conference where he's beat himself up more. And, I, you know, I know he, he's, he's a leader. He takes responsibility for his team. But, I mean, I still love Harbaugh, obviously. He's still a phenomenal coach. But I, it, is, it is notable that they didn't have that kind of hand signals ready. And, they talked about being prepared for the blitz and they knew it was coming, but they just didn't have the right preparation. And it took them, it took them a while to find the right remedy. And that kind of adjustment has to be found sooner. So I agree. No, no positive mile high miracle, just ridiculous ones. Uh, and, and I, and I got to hand it to Watkins missing that ball. I mean, that could have been a tone setter for the game in the first quarter. Who knows how different everything could have been if we beat them deep early because if you beat them deep early, they're 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 just they're going to blitz less. That is something that we've seen in the NFL. It is it's just a classic tenet of football that if you're blitzing and getting beat downfield, you have to stop blitzing. And it's something that teams have done against top quarterbacks like Patrick Mahomes, who punished the blitz. Jackson has to become one of those guys now. Otherwise, teams will blitz him into oblivion. Look at what the Bengals did against the Ravens when the Ravens were showing cover zero a lot. They ran ins and slants with uh, with chase and he'd break a tackle and he was gone that's that's the kind of thing you need to do and 
And the middle of the field, which is a place that Lamar is comfortable attacking, was just wide open in that game. And they just did not let it, uh, you know, they, they didn't account for the safety that was always there off the edge coming in, telling the whole world he was blitzing and they did nothing about it. Yep. And, and, and that's, you know, that kind of brings me to the head scratcher of the week, which is the, the blitz counter play call. We've talked about it, how long it took to get around to it. And I just, I, I, I like Greg Roman. He's the architect of a highly successful offense. I'm not sure many other coordinators would have been able to put together a stretch over the past three and a half seasons with Jackson like he has, but, 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 but this was a huge moment for Roman and he just didn't come up. He just didn't deliver. I'm not calling for his head. I'm not one of those people who wants to fire him after one bad game, but he he does have the rest of the season to figure this out. But if the Ravens go through the rest of the season and they can't figure out how to defend the blitz, I think that's going to be, and that's going to end up landing on Roman's shoulders because this is, this is his job. He has to figure this out because if he doesn't figure it out in the regular season, then we're going to get hit with the playoffs, and that's going to be against even more talented teams who don't have as many liabilities and coverage that we can take advantage advantage of, or weak offenses that our defense can can beat throughout the game to keep us in the game. We'll just get destroyed, and so that's the biggest head scratcher I have. I had a couple others. That Andrews play really looked like it was a catch. They called it a catch on the field. I don't know how they found inconclusive evidence to overturn it. And I also felt like the second roughing the passer call on Lamar on that fourth quarter drive was a pretty light call. The first one was absolutely roughing the passer, and it's good to see him getting those calls. But the second one was really light. I don't know if they had called it because the arm went kind of into Lamar's helmet or what, but the guy barely touched him. So definitely the bliss counter play call, but some head scratchers from the refs too. No doubt. And I think that for the most part, they let those guys play. And then they got into the fourth quarter. They started throwing the flags. And, and yeah, I, I thought that was unnecessary, but it was a play the Ravens needed because I think that was on their scoring drive, if I'm not mistaken. And so it, it's one of those things that, you know, you, you take them, you got to roll with the, the punches. And sometimes you get those calls, sometimes you don't. But for me, the, the head scratcher was early in the game. The Ravens were facing a fourth and three at the Miami 30-yard line, and they decided to send Justin Tucker out there to kick what was, what, a 47-yard field goal. Mm-hmm. And that just went completely against the Ravens' grain. They've, they've gone in those situations even deep in their own territory, much less at the opponent's 30-yard line, and, and just staying with the number 30. This is against a team that had the 30th-ranked defense and the 30th-ranked offense. And the Ravens didn't go for it on fourth and three to make that statement early in the game and kick the field goal. I thought that that was a win for the Dolphins in that situation. Yeah, and it's 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 uh, confusing from Harbaugh because he is so aggressive, and it's something that we love about him on fourth down. The, embracing the statistics is a big part of it. Having Lamar is a big part of it. And it's, it's almost strange to see them not go for fourth and threes now when they've gone for fourth and sevens in their own territory before. And to follow that up with Tucker missing was just heartbreaking. I mean, him missing inside of 50 is so rare that I I was stunned when he missed that. So it was kind of at that point that I knew that it was going to be another really tough game for the Ravens. It was going to be another rough first half and that they were going to have to fight like hell in the second half in order to win. Of course, they kind of did. They maybe fought like hell in the fourth quarter, but still couldn't get the job done and 
it, it, it hurts when you see them have opportunities early and miss them. Yeah, I agree. Moving on to next week against the Chicago Bears. This is a huge bounce back day for the Ravens. Offensively, they're going to see these blitzes. The Bears has the Bears have uh, the Bears under under Nagy have liked to blitz generally, and so I definitely see them blitzing a lot more and and trying out the latest strategy against Jackson. That's going to be the biggest thing that we're looking forward to next week. And defensively, you know, I think Fields is a good quarterback. He's starting to show what he's made of. But I also think he's a rookie, and I also think the Ravens can take advantage of that and the fact that he doesn't have the greatest weapons and surrounding cast on that offense. The biggest thing is just going to be big plays, is preventing him from uncorking a 50-yard bomb to a wide-open receiver that, that, you know, on a third down, that ends a potential chance to get the ball back. That's going to, those are the two biggest things that I'm going to be looking for next week. Yeah, I think that you, you touched on one of the points I was going to make, and that is the NFL is a copycat league. We've heard that time and time again. So until the Ravens offense can prove that they can beat and, and really damage a cover zero defense, they're going to see a lot of those kind of looks. They're going to see a lot of blitzing. And for all the reasons we've already described, I, I think that's important for them to be prepared. And they're, if they fail to prepare properly, they could lose that game. And, and regarding Justin Fields, the, the thing that concerns me going against the Bears and him is we've seen the Ravens' defense struggle to communicate and give up these big plays. We mentioned that you know Miami hadn't had a play of 50 yards or more all season, and then against the Ravens, they had two in one game. So I think those big plays are of concern when Justin Fields breaks containment, gets outside the pocket, and you've got a rookie safety back there, and Brandon Stevens maybe gets out of line. You know We've seen Chuck Clark have communication breakdowns the last two games. So they've, they've got to clean that up if, if Justin Fields is going to break containment. Keeping him in the pocket, I think, is a good thing for the Ravens, and I think they could create some turnovers if they do that. But uh, that's, that's a tall order because he's a good athlete. Turnovers is another thing also. I read this morning. I think the Ravens are at the bottom of the league or close to it in turnovers this season, and we're used to this team being a ball-hawking team. Marcus Peters is, is missing. Marcus Peters is part of that, but interceptions aren't nearly as consistent year to year on individuals, just as they are for teams in general. And it just feels like we have not been able to secure turnovers. We talked about the queen almost got that strip sack and recovery earlier. And it just feels like we've been way too close to too many of those almost turnovers this season where either we've just got to work on our ball skills as a defense or our luck has to turn or both. And, and hopefully we'll see that later in the season. That's another thing I'm going to be looking for against the Bears because Fields has struggled with throwing some picks this season. And hopefully we can get some pressure on him and get him to make some bad decisions. And I think we I've never I've never felt like the Ravens need a game where they just march in and destroy their opponent more than they do right now. Well, they do need to make a statement game and it's not going to be easy. The Ravens as a franchise have never won at Soldier Field. So that'll be a, a first if they can pull the victory off next Sunday. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Tony. Any final thoughts? It's, you know, it's a season that we we are imprisoned by the moment a lot of times, and we put so much stock into the most recently played game. But I would just encourage fans to keep in mind they are still atop the AFC North. Win the division. That opens up some opportunities for you. There's still time to correct some of the flaws. So let's not just paint this really bad loss against the Dolphins 
in, in Florida as, as the end all be all of the season, there's still plenty of time to go. And I think the Ravens coaching staff is capable enough to get these guys going back in the right direction. Absolutely agree. There's a lot of football left this season. We do have a, a great team, a really fun team to watch here in Baltimore. And I absolutely agree. It's got a good future this year. And based on what we've talked about this podcast, got a good future in a cup for a couple of years down the road as well. Tony, thank you so much for joining us. This has been Russell Street Replay with Nikhil Mehta, and we'll see you next week when we recap the Baltimore Ravens matchup against the Chicago Bears. Thanks so much.